You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, this is episode number two in the Ultimate House Hacking Guide for Denver. So today's episode, Joe Masti with Castle & Cook takes the lead on this episode and walks us through all the basics of financing. So we cover a lot in this episode with quite a few different numbers. I'm talking prepaying PMI, buying down the interest rates, and he references some charts on his PowerPoints. So if you're not watching the YouTube video, check the show notes for the blog. They'll be in there or in the book, read chapter two. All the tables, all numbers are in there as well. All right, here's the episode. Enjoy. All right, guys, here we are for the Ultimate Denver House Hacking Course, module number two. My name is Joe Massey. I'm with Castle & Cook Mortgage. And this module is going to be one of the basic foundations that we want to start laying. And it is financing for house hackers. Now, first off, I want to talk about who we've got here today. Um, I, our gracious host on the show today, Chris Lopez. Chris, are you there? Who are you? I am. Thank you, Joe. I, my name is Chris Lopez. I'm a real estate agent here in Denver. I help people go out there and buy rental properties and buy house hack properties. And my name is Joe Massey, Castle & Cook Mortgage. I'm a loan officer, branch manager, um, helping you with permanent residential financing, house hacking, investing in real estate, first-time home buyers, um, any sort of long-term financing you need for residential properties here in Colorado. And we have our ultimate house hacking coach. Jeff, are you here with us? Yes, I'm here. And who are you? <laughs> uh, my name's Jeff. I'm an uh, active uh, serial house hacker on my third one right now. And uh, also, on the as well, I help coach people and get them up and running with their first house hack or just uh, different strategies to maximize rents or whatever else they need to uh, achieve their potential with their property. Fantastic. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Um, folks on the webinar, if you have questions, put them over in the chat box. We have Katie monitoring that. Um, everybody is muted, so you can't speak. Um, but hopefully, uh, we'll go through this. And if you have questions, definitely type them in. So let's start by talking about some of the basics about financing. Number one thing that, that makes house hacking really attractive is owner-occupied financing. So there's some benefits of owner-occupied versus investment property loans. So the first thing you're going to see is the down payment. So an owner-occupied property, um, there's options that you can put down as low as 0%, maybe 3.5% down, maybe 5% down. And this is going to depend on the loan type, depends on your qualifications, your, your uh, strategy for how much you want to put down. Whereas an investment property, so property you're buying truly for investment, this is going to have a minimum down payment of 15%, maybe 20 maybe even 25%, depending on your goals, property types, et cetera. So that's one of the big benefits right out of the gate is the down payment requirements going to be much less uh, with these uh, owner-occupied financing. And then interest rate. Owner-occupied financing is always going to be the lowest rate available. This is what you're always going to see advertised on TV. Hey, this is an owner-occupied property. You've got to live in it, et cetera. That's where you're going to see those super low interest rates on TV, on the internet, in the newspaper, Although I don't know if they put interest rates in the newspaper anymore. That's how old I am. That's, that's where we used to look. And then investment property financing, always going to be a little bit higher. Going to range anywhere from three quarters of a percent to a point and a half higher than owner-occupied interest rates. And those are going to vary depending on the down payment, depending on the property type, and a lot of other variables. But what you see, interest rates are always going to be cheapest and least expensive when you're living in the property. 
and you're going to have the least money out of pocket when you're living in the property. Like, why is that, Joe? Uh, you know, that's a good question. It's really the emotional connection, and it is just historical fact that, you know, you look back to any waves of foreclosures, of foreclosures that have occurred in the past, owner-occupied properties foreclose at a far lower percentage than investment properties. Um, investment properties, you know, people don't have that emotional attachment something occurs in their life and, and they're not able to make payments, investment properties go down the drain a lot faster than the home where someone lives. Um, so banks can take a little bit more of a risk if you're going to be living in the property. And more of a risk meaning, you know, we're going to loan you more percentage, higher dollar amount, and we're going to charge you a lower interest rate for that, just simply because of that emotional connection and lower, uh, lower chances of foreclosure. Now, let's talk about owner-occupied properties. You must live in the property, all right? And that's what we're talking about here. Here, the lender's gonna give you a loan with a preferred interest rate, preferred terms based on that risk profile. Now, a lot of people say, well, how long do I have to live there? And a lot of people will say, well, what if I have, uh, you know, I live with my girlfriend, but I'm gonna buy this house and I'm gonna change that to my mailing address. Um, guys, don't play with fire on this. You need to live in the property. This is your primary residence if you're house hacking. You move in. You live there, you get your mail there, you sleep there every day, all right? You've got to understand um, you don't want to mess around with legal documents. And this is, uh, I took a clip from Adita Trust, because we get this question a lot. Um, borrower, so this is in relation to occupancy, borrower shall occupy, establish, and use the property as borrower's principal residence within 60 days after execution of this security instrument, so after the closing and shall continue to occupy the property as borrower's principal residence for at least one year after the date of occupancy, unless the lender agrees in writing, which consent shall not be unreasonably withheld, or unless extenuating circumstances exist, which are beyond the borrower's control. So a lot of people like to talk about, well, what do you mean if, if you know we agree in writing or there's other extenuating circumstances? An extenuating circumstance is not well, I found a great deal on a property. I've only lived here for three months, but I found another property that's a really great deal too, and I want to move into that property. No, that's not an extenuating circumstance. An extenuating circumstance is, hey, I was relocated from Denver to California for my job, so I'm going to be moving out of the property. I haven't been able to sell it yet. All right. So don't play with fire on this, guys. Um, violating this covenant in your deed of trust, you're probably not going to have any problems with your current loan. But here's where you're going to have problems is your next loan, all right? So we work with a lot of investors, um, two of our key partners, of course, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. When we go and we get your final approval through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, we run it through a system and it gives us a little warning that says, hey, this borrower has taken out a new primary residence loan less than 12 months ago. You really need to research and make sure that this borrower has extenuating circumstances. And if your extenuating circumstances, well, I just really found a great deal that's a great house hack, and you've only lived in your property for three months, that's where you're going to fall into this trap that you're going to have trouble getting your next loan. Right? So really, make sure you live in the property, guys. Don't play with fire on this. It's a big deal that's going to trip you up down the road. Um, I'll talk to people all the time that try and find different ways to skirt around this. It's real easy. Buy the property move in, live there 12 months, then do it again. Now, let's talk about types of loans for owner-occupants. Number one, FHA, very popular loan program, minimum 3.5% down. You can use this for a single-family home, condos, townhomes, or for a multi-unit. I talk to a lot of people that want to use 
FHA to buy a two-unit, three-unit property. In fact, Jeff, you didn't you use FHA to buy your first investment property? And it was a multi-unit property, right? Yep, that's correct. I used FHA for uh, the four-unit place that I bought my first one. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you lived there for a year and then moved out and, and saved up down payment and moved out and used a conventional loan with 5% down to buy your next property, right? Correct, yep. Okay, so one really important point about FHA, you can only have one FHA loan at a time. And so it's a great option to use for that very first purchase, particularly if you can find a multi-unit property, you can do that minimum 3.5% down to buy that first multi-unit property. Then after you've lived there for a year or 18 months or saved up that next down payment, you move out and you've got that multi-unit property with very, very little cash invested. The next option would be conventional. So there's a number of uh, differences on conventional. Number one, minimum 5% down for a single family condo or townhome, minimum 15% down for a duplex, and minimum 25% down for a three to four unit property. So that's where you want to use this FHA. If you find a multi-unit property, this FHA financing is really going to help you purchase that first property with a minimum down payment versus if you buy your first property is a three to four unit and you use conventional financing, you've got to make a much larger down payment. Um, So just be aware that as you're buying bigger units, you have to have a larger down payment on conventional financing. Now, the next types of loans to look at would be VA. So not as popular, only about 5% of transactions fall under VA. Reason for that, really simple. Roughly 5% of the U.S. population served in the military and qualify for VA benefits. But if this is you, this is a great way that you can buy your first property. So no money down. And this works for single-family homes, condos, townhomes, or multi-unit properties. So if you've got those VA benefits, um, this is a great way you can purchase that first property. And then one that a lot of people are not familiar with, USDA. Um, This is similar to VA, that there's no money down, but there's a couple of caveats. Number one, single-family residents and townhomes only. And USDA, kind of funny, United States Department of Agriculture, they actually have a loan program but it is for rural development areas. So underdeveloped, uh, low to moderate income areas. So if you're wanting to buy something in the Denver metro area, USDA is not going to be for you. But you want to buy something in Stratton, Colorado, or Elizabeth, Colorado, or Strasburg, fantastic. These are great USDA areas. So depending on where you're looking, this could be a great way to purchase that first property uh, if you don't have a, have a uh, you know, restriction that you've got to be right in the Denver metro area. Next one, down payment assistance. Um, We've got a number of different down payment assistance plans that can be purchased with as little as $1,000 down. Now, this is going to work for single-family homes, condos, and townhomes. doesn't work for multi-unit properties. Um, There's also some income restrictions and other qualifications uh, that you're going to fall into with down payment assistance. Uh, And I get this question a lot. Hey, Joe, I really want to use this $1,000 down. And when we sit down and we break it down for somebody oftentimes it's not as good of a financial benefit as they would have thought Um, because you are getting some assistance to help with that down payment, but it does come at a cost. Um, Most common cost is a little bit higher closing cost and a higher interest rate. Because we're wanting to keep this property for the long term and generate cash flow, if you can put down that 35 or 5%, that's going to significantly decrease the monthly payment versus doing only $1,000 down. But if you're listening here today and you say, hey, you know what? That's all I'm able to save up for. I can't quite get over the hump to save up that 3% or 3.5% or 5% down. That's okay. We'll still work with you. We've got a lot of great plans. 
Um, you just need to be aware it's going to come at a trade-off of a little bit higher monthly payment. Now, the last one, this is a popular program that a lot of folks like to talk about, renovation loans. So FHA offers a 203K renovation loan, uh, which we're a preferred 203K lender that allows you to finance up to $35,000 to renovate the property. Or we've got a conventional loan program as well, which is called HomeStyle, which allows you to finance up to 50% of the property value to renovate the property. Now, a lot of people read up on these, call, they study, they're so excited about these. Um, and frankly, right now, if this is something you're interested in, I hate to deliver bad news, but you're not going to be able to use these programs in the Denver metro area. Reason being, these plans require that you have contractor bids prior to the closing and prior to your final loan approval. Right now in the Denver metro area, it can take anywhere from 15 to 60 days to get multiple contractor bids. And if you've got a property that is going to qualify for renovation and needs a lot of work, you're probably competing with other cash buyers, other fix and flip investors, and they're not going to want to wait. The seller is not going to want to wait 60 or 90 days for you to get contractor bids and close on one of these types of transactions when they've got three other offers uh, to pay cash for the property at the exact same price. So these can be great plans when we're in a strong buyer's market. Um, these were great. I did a ton of these back in 2010, 11, and 12 uh, when we had a lot of foreclosed properties on the market. Um, but right now, guys, we can spend an hour talking about two or three K loans and renovation loans, um, but it's just not actionable in today's market. But at some point that'll change and we'll do an another webinar on those and get into all the details around those. Hey Joe, before we move on, yeah. um, I want to ask you a question about the down payment system programs. Cause I, I get this question from clients. Um, how does that work? If people don't do the house hack and nomad strategy, they buy a place now and then a year or two later, they buy another place. Will that work for the, that strategy of buying multiple places over the next few years? Generally not. So your down payment assistance, number one, it says you're going to occupy the property for a minimum of 12 months, which we touched on before. But depending on the down payment assistance plan, oftentimes it comes with a second lien. And the terms of that second lien are you need to pay that lien off whenever you sell the property or whenever you move out of the property. All right. So if I'm getting a down payment assistance loan, uh, and let's say I get my regular first mortgage and then I get $10,000 of assistance and I live in the property for a minimum of a year, but then it's time for me to move out. I've saved up my down payment for the next house. When I want to move out, the first thing I've got to do is pay off my down payment assistance plan and that lien is $10,000. Well, let's say maybe I've saved up $20,000 to buy my new property. I've got to use 10 to pay off the lien on the property I'm exiting. That's going to take some time for me to save up enough money to do that. It's going to take some time uh, for me to then save up money for my next down payment. So you can do it. Um, but again, there's going to be some hiccups and some hidden uh, roadblocks that are going to trip you up. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Any other questions on this, this slide, these last two? All right. Not for me. Let's talk about... Paying points to buy down your rate. Does this make sense? So we're going to get into some of the more granular details about loans here, but it's really important and I want you guys to understand it. Um, one of the important things uh, that Jeff does so well is he really understands the financial aspect of it. You know, Jeff has a great financial background and I think understanding that has helped make him a really successful house hacker, a really successful investor. Um, so I want to dive into some of these details because these are conversations that I've had with Chris, conversations I've had with, with Jeff. Uh, the same conversations we have with all of our clients. 
And it is important to understand this and think through, all right, which of these options do I want to do? Does this make sense for me? Does this impact how much money I want to save for my down payment? So let's walk through it here. Let's just say we have a sample $400,000 property and I'm going to put 5% down. So single family home, nothing crazy, regular deal. Interest rate, 3.75%. Now there's an asterisk here and then you see a little not note down here. This is a sample interest rate. This is not an advertised rate. This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Um, what we're talking about here are high level uh, plans and interest rates are going to vary. Interest rates are going to fluctuate depending on your lender you speak to. Compliance, compliance, compliance. Um, these are going to be different, particularly when you're watching the uh, the recording. So I want you guys to understand the concept and not necessarily focus on what is the number, but just understand the reasoning behind it. Now, with this interest rate, let's say there is zero discount points. Now, discount point is what you can pay to get down to a lower interest rate. So for this rate, there is zero points associated with it. And the principal and interest payment, $1,760. Now, we're going to ignore taxes and insurance because you're going to have taxes and insurance in any situation. So, But for right now, we're going to ignore uh, the tax and insurance payment. $400,000 property, 5% down, and we decide we are going to buy down this interest rate. So same property, same down payment. The only thing we're going to do is pay one and a half points to buy down to this lower rate. Now, one and a half points is $5,700. So the way you would do that math, you've got a $400,000 property. In fact, let me pull up my calculator and we'll show you how to do this. We've got a $400,000 property times 5% down means I'm borrowing 95%. So my new loan is $380,000 times 0.015% because I'm getting one and a half discount points is $5,700. So $5,700 being paid as an additional closing cost up front to get me a lower interest rate. Right? So I get a lower rate for 30 years by paying a little bit more money today, which results in a lower monthly payment. Saves about $133 per month. And then that has a break-even point of 50, uh, 42 months. How do we calculate that? I spend $5,700 up front, but then I save $133 per month. It takes me 42 months to break even. So if I think that I'm going to stay in the home for at least 42 months, so three years and six months, it probably makes sense for me to spend this additional cash up front. If, and this is a big if, I have this extra cash. If I don't have this extra cash, then I should be looking at this option. Questions on this, guys? Yeah, so I, I'm putting an extra five thousand seven hundred dollars, you know, at closing to buy down the points. Why don't I just put that towards an extra down payment or like more money towards principal? Okay, great question. Um, it's not going to get you as much uh, savings on a monthly basis, um, and that's a really good question. I, I should have done the math on that, but it's not going to save you as much putting that fifty seven hundred dollars towards your principal. You're going to get a bigger monthly savings here um, by paying down that interest rate? Very good question, Chris. So I, I was ballparking that uh, while you were explaining. I mean, I would, if I put an extra like $57 down on a property, that's going to save me like what, 25 or 30 bucks a month maybe? Yeah, about 25. Yeah. So yeah. that's an important point to talk about because this is something I talk about with my clients all the time. 
uh, you know, when we're looking at buying properties, and this is where you get you get into some really fun ways to structure the contract and structure the financing with house hack properties. And we talk about this all the time of like, hey, if you put more money down, you're gonna save, you know, save $25. But if you use that money to buy down points or prepay mortgage insurance, we'll talk about the next slide, your return can be five or six times more in a monthly savings. That's exactly right. And that's something that's an important point. While this is just a high level overview, let's say that, you know, somebody listening to this goes out with you, they get under contract, we're going to sit down with them face to face and go through this for their specific situation. What is the interest rate on that day? What's the amount they've got for the purchase price? How much are they putting down? How many points does it cost? And we're going to look over that. We're going to have an hour long meeting to review all those things. Right? What do you? What if we just put this fifty-seven hundred dollars towards the principal, and we still had this higher rate? Um, and we can compare all of those, uh, you know, in really detailed fashion once you're in a contract. So that's a great point, Chris. Um, that sometimes it might make sense to do that towards the principal. Other times it may not. But in this case, it would not. You're not going to save nearly this hundred and thirty-three dollars a month. Great question. And what's the uh, cap? Uh, is there a cap for how many discount points you could uh, uh, purchase? Good question, Jeff. And no, there's not a cap, but what happens is you'll eventually start to hit a diminishing or a point of diminishing returns. So it's not a linear relationship for how many points this goes down. So for example, maybe I'm sitting down with you and you say, you know what? I really want my rate to be 3%. Okay, great. Well, to get the next eighth of a percent off my rate, it might cost you another half a point. And then you say, well, you know what? I really want to get the rate down to 2.875. Okay, to get the next eighth of a point, maybe now it costs another full one point. And you say, well, maybe I want a rate of 2.75. Okay, the next eighth costs another point and a half. So it's not a direct relationship. And that's something that we do is we sit down and look at, you know, at what point are you spending another $3,800 to save one eighth of a percent? And it's only saving you $15 a month that's going to take a really, really long time to break even. So great question. And that, that's why we look at that because um, that does fluctuate every single day as well. Gotcha. All right. Let's talk about mortgage insurance. Do I have to pay it? Um, there are ads and, and things all over TV, all over the internet. No mortgage insurance. Don't pay this. Don't pay that. Let me pull the curtain back and be really open. Uh, yes. If you are getting a mortgage in the United States... If, you, if it is a VA loan, you don't have to pay mortgage insurance. Otherwise, yes, you must pay mortgage insurance if you don't put 20% down. Now, I know there are ads out there. Some of my favorite competitors have ads. 3% down, no mortgage insurance. 5% down, no mortgage insurance. No, no, no. There's mortgage insurance. You just don't know about it. So those plans are called no disclosed mortgage insurance. And what that means is the lender is getting mortgage insurance, and then they're simply charging you either higher closing costs or a higher interest rate. So keep in mind, if you are getting a loan, unless it's a VA loan, VA is true, no mortgage insurance. But outside of that, in the United States, you have to pay mortgage insurance unless you put 20% down. But you have options for how to pay it. Number one, we already spoke about, the lender can pay it for you, or you could pay it monthly, uh, or you can pay it up front. So let's look at how it would look if you paid it monthly. So $400,000 property, 5% down. So same property, same one we looked at in the prior scenario. Your mortgage insurance, roughly $114 a month. Now, again, we've got a new asterisk down here. This is a sample cost of mortgage insurance. This is not an advertised price, not an offer or commitment to lend for you as an individual. 
this number is going to fluctuate on a daily basis, going to fluctuate based on your credit score, based on how much money you're putting down, based on a host of different variables. Just like your car insurance, we've got to go through it. We've got to look at all the variables to determine what is that monthly price. But this is this is a sample price for a sample borrower um, that I just ran today just to confirm it. So this is a real available mortgage insurance number, um, but yours could certainly be different. But let's say you buy the same property, $400,000 property, 5% down, and you pay upfront mortgage insurance. The cost of that would be $4,978. Now, this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison for this particular scenario. So instead of paying $114 a month, $4,000. $978 up front saves $114 per month, which is a 44-month break-even period. So let's look at that again here. $49.78 divided by $114 in savings takes 44 months to break even. Okay. So if you think you're going to stay in the home for at least three years and eight months, and you've got an extra $4,000 or $5,000 laying around, it might make sense to buy off, to uh, pay upfront that mortgage insurance uh, rather than paying it on a monthly basis. Questions on this, Chris or Jeff? Oh, yeah. Here, here's a very common question I get. So, yeah, this is often I'm talking with clients, uh, you know, kind of the initial investing strategy meeting we're doing, where we're discussing goals, their finances, what the long term plans are, all that stuff. As we start talking about properties, say, well, how much will my mortgage insurance cost? How can people figure it out before they go on a contract, Joe? You got to call me. Guys, it is so... I don't, know what the, I don't know what the right word is. I'll say complex. There is multiple mortgage insurance companies. There is multiple variables. It depends on the zip code of the property, depends on the property price, depends on how much money you're putting down, your credit score, your spouse's credit score your income source, the type of loan you're doing, um, depends on your income level, depends on if you're using any special programs, depends on the, uh, I can't remember if I said property type, number of units. So there are 50 different variables probably. And so, you know, we can guesstimate it based on a conversation, you know, hey, you know what, maybe it's 115 bucks a month, maybe it's 5,000 a month. I've got a mortgage calculator that you can plug in some basic variables and it'll give you uh, an idea, but it is not a true quote. What what has to happen is you have to go under contract. We have to have your paycheck stubs, your tax returns, your W-2s, all your stuff. We can plug it in. And that's part of then what we're going to do when we sit down together. Just like we're going to look at which interest rate should you get and should you buy it down, we're going to look at this mortgage insurance. Should you pay it monthly? Should you pay it up front? Maybe you've got lower credit and the upfront payment is $12,000. And you say, oh, I don't want to do that. Hey, that's okay. Maybe that's not the right plan for you. Well, that's why we've got to look at every single one individually. And, and just to really emphasize here, because uh, I, get, I get this question so many times, I think you do too, Joe, is don't try to calculate what your mortgage insurance, whether it's monthly or prepaid is, before you're under contract. Just yep. realize you have to pay it. And if you want to ballpark a number, I often ballpark about $5,000 for prepaid, but that's a ballpark. But just realize, hey, you have options. And worry about that once you're under contract and once the lender gets the contract and can review everything and they'll give you the options. Yeah, that's why that consultation, you know, Chris, as you know, once you go under contract, you send us a copy of the, the purchase contract and we call that borrower within an hour. And we say, hey, Mr. Client, we would like to sit down with you within 24 hours so that we can hammer out these details, 
Now that we've got the property address, the price, we're going to sit down and go through this in depth with you so that we can answer all those questions. Otherwise, prior to going under contract, it's all variable, right? And one of the key variables is the property. Um, so once you have that locked down, that's when we can sit down and really answer those questions. So I got another question here for you, Joe. Can I can I combine prepaying my mortgage insurance while also buying down the interest rate? Oh man, I love it. You're leading the witness. I'll give you 20 bucks <laughs> later. Um, that is what like we're talking about. Before, huh? What's that? It's almost like we've done this before. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, you can. You can combine points and upfront mortgage insurance. So let's look at that. Same property, same down payment. That's the important point here. Nothing's changing on our property. Interest rate, 3.75. No points. Principal and interest, 1760. Monthly mortgage insurance. Total principal interest and mortgage insurance, PIM, 1874. Now, don't forget our little asterisk. This is a sample interest rate, sample mortgage insurance, not a quote, not an advertisement, et cetera. 1874 in this scenario. Same property, same down payment. You want to buy down your interest rate, so you got to pay some points. You want to do your upfront mortgage insurance, so you got to pay that at closing. Your additional cost, $10,678 for a total Principal interest mortgage insurance payment of $1,627 per month. It saves you $247 a month. You break even in 43 months. All right. So if you're going to keep this property for three years and seven months, and you've got an extra $11,000 to invest, this may certainly make sense. Now, Chris, let me ask you a question. Does the buyer have to pay this $10,000? No, not necessarily. So this is one of the things that we often do um, is that we can negotiate whether we raise the purchase price or as we go to our contract, we find inspection items. Um, if there's a seller credit we're getting, we can often have the seller pay for this at closing. And we'll talk a lot more about that when we get to the future module. That's one of the great things about the way we can structure contracts uh, and do this owner-occupied properties. We can actually kind of have you know, have our cake and eat it too, where we can get this upfront payment done, not directly out of our pocket, but then save, you know, $200, 300 a month. It's that's really exactly cool right. And that, that's what I was going to touch on. We're going to have that in a future module when it comes to contracts. We can negotiate for the seller to pay this for you. Now, sometimes, not always, right? That's that's why it's a negotiation. Um, and Jeff, let me ask you, didn't we do this on your, your last transaction? Didn't the seller pay your closing costs and we used it to buy down your rate and your yeah, mortgage insurance? Just what you guys described. Uh, yeah, Chris, it was actually 480 was the agreed upon contract price, but we raised it to 45 so we could maximize the seller credits after negotiations. And then we used a chunk of that to pay off the mortgage insurance and do some discount points to get a really good monthly mortgage payment that made the numbers work even better, especially for the the purchase price of that property. Yeah. So one thing I'll throw on there before we move on, Joe, is if you guys are out there listening to this and you're a little bit confused on all these numbers, don't worry about understanding every single number and every single thing we're talking about right now. We want to give you the basics and now we're talking about the advanced concepts because this comes up, but these are important aspects you need to know. And this is stuff we'll work with you as we go to our contract, go to our lending. And this is another reason why you want to make sure you work with, you know, lenders and brokers and other professionals around real estate that know the house hacking game. Because there's a lot of levers on here that you can pull that you need to know what you can and can't do and how to optimize it. 
Yep, absolutely. So let's move on here. Let's talk about the total investment versus payment options. So again, same property, four hundred thousand. I'm going to keep. I'm sound like a broken record by the time we're done. Uh, purchase price four hundred thousand. Down payment five percent. That's a twenty thousand dollar down payment. Now some loan costs. You do have the flat cost to process and underwrite your loan. Acquisition costs, Chris. What are acquisition costs? Those are all other costs. That's your inspection fee, your appraisal fee, your title fee. These twelve other fees that pop up at the closing table. It's just every all the other miscellaneous costs you have to pay to buy a property. Yep, and a lot of those you pay whether you're getting a loan or the all of these you would pay whether you're getting a loan, whether you're paying cash. This is the cost associated with acquiring a property. All right, total in this scenario, two thousand uh, twenty five thousand forty dollars. So that's twenty thousand dollars for a down payment, fifteen hundred forty dollars to process the loan, thirty five hundred dollars to acquire uh, for our acquisition costs, twenty five thousand forty dollars. Monthly payment because we're not paying down, paying off the mortgage insurance. We're not paying down, buying down the interest rate. Eighteen seventy four, or we could opt to pay points, one and a half points, upfront mortgage insurance forty nine seventy eight, ten thousand dollars more investment so thirty five seven eighteen for a payment sixteen twenty seven. Okay, so this is an option where we spend a little bit more money up front, and we have a lower monthly payment for the next thirty years. Now let's compare that if we're going to buy this as an investment property. So again, broken record, same property, $400,000. Let's say we're going to do a down payment of 25%, so $100,000 down. Interest rate, four and a quarter. Again, this is a sample interest rate. But remember from earlier, interest rates are going to be more expensive for an investment property versus a primary residence. You've got your flat loan costs of $1,540. And currently... On an investment property, you have to pay points. There's not an option to do no points. So you're going to do one point, $3,000. Acquisition costs of $3,500. Total investment, $108,040 for a payment of $1,869. Now, this doesn't have any mortgage insurance because you put 25% down, but the principal and interest on a smaller loan, the loan is smaller by $80,000, but due to this higher interest rate, $1,869 per month. You guys follow that? I do. Yep. Okay. So Chris, let me ask you, which one is the best? Should I do OwnerOc with 5% down? Should I buy uh, out my mortgage insurance or should I do an investment property? Oh, 5% down. 5% down? Okay. So let's walk through. If I do OwnerOc 5% down, 3.75, my investment is at $25,040, payment of $1,874. Now, this sample property, let's just say it rents for $2,200 a month. Now, I haven't gotten into the details of analyzing this property, but there's some other expenses you've got, taxes, insurance, maintenance, vacancies, et cetera. And we're going to talk about that in the future module. But this cash flow is actually losing $147 a month. So I've got to subsidize this property. So after I move out of it, because that's what we're analyzing here, after I move out of the property, I still have to send in an extra $147 a month. But my return on investment quadrant is 118%. Now, we're going to get into that in much more detail in a later module, but I want you to just remember this number for right now. This is a 118% ROIQ. What if I do owner rock 5% down with points and mortgage insurance? This gets me a lower rate, higher investment. I'm having to put more money out of my pocket, but I'm getting a lower monthly payment. Same rent 
because this is the same property. But now after I move out, my property is cash flowing $121 a month. Chris, would you rather have positive cash flow or negative cash flow that you have to subsidize every month? Oh, positive, of course. Exactly. But now when I finance or factor in my ROIQ, I'm only making 94%. And again, we're going to get into this in depth in a later module. Because I'm investing more money, I'm not getting quite as good of a return. But one of the things that's improved in my return because I've invested more money is my cash flow because the additional investment is resulting in a lower monthly payment. Or I could buy the same property as an investment property, a rate of four and a quarter. Investment, oh, I typed in the wrong thing there. I missed a couple of zeros. Uh, investment was $108,000. Payment, $1,869. Rent, $2,200 a month. My property is cash flowing $273. So my return on investment quadrant is only 30%. All right. I'm only getting a 30% return on my money uh, because I invested not $1,600. It was, it was $108,000. That's a typo. My bad. I invested $108,000 to make $273. So now, Chris, let me ask you, which of these is the right one? Would you do option one, two, or three? Ooh, I'd go with option two is the owner rock with the points and upfront mortgage insurance. I agree. Jeff, let me ask you, would you do option number one, number two, or number three? Number two all the way. It yeah. just makes sense. Yep, I agree. You're getting positive cash flow. You're still getting an absolutely insane rate of return. Your investment is only ten thousand dollars more. Be making an additional hundred and twenty, uh, an additional no two hundred and uh, what was it two hundred sixty eight dollars a month, right? But just because that's what Jeff would do, just because that's what Chris would do, just because that's what I would do, doesn't mean it's right for you. Every investor looks needs to look at each transaction individually to determine which scenario is best for you and your long term goals. Questions on this, guys? No, I just have to say, I love the way you lay out this chart. This is good. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So what do you do when you're ready to get started? We're going to talk in depth on this in a lot of our future modules. Number one, get pre-approved. All right. And it's important. Don't get simply pre-qualified. There is a difference of a pre-qualification versus pre-approval. Pre-qualification is based on your verbal information and your credit report. Pre-approval is based on your written information. Um, we're going to ask for your tax returns, your paycheck stubs, your W-2s. Um, Jeff, you've been through the pre-approval process with me. Is it super painful? No. It's just, it's as long as all, you have right? your documents uh, ready to go and you know, it, it's a very simple process and you upload it, easy. That's Sorry, exactly right. Let me interrupt, Joe. You, you're, say the pre, you said pre-qualification is verbal and your credit report. Did I hear you right? Yep. Your pre-qualification is based on your verbal information and your credit report. A pre-approval is based on your written information and your credit report. And so, you know, Jeff's spot on. You know, yes, you could get pre-qualified based on him telling me, hey, I make X number of dollars, I've got X number of dollars in the bank, but that's a weaker letter when you go out to look at properties. Whereas if you're fully pre-approved, Jeff's provided me all of his written information, paycheck stubs, tax returns, everything, I can call the listing agent and say, hey, you know what? Jeff is fully pre-approved with us. What that means is I have verified all of his information. I've looked at his paycheck stubs, tax returns. I've completely underwritten his loan. He is ready to buy this property. The only thing he needs is a purchase contract, an appraisal, and a title commitment. Does that feel a lot better versus, you know what? Jeff told me he makes a lot of money. Would you rather have a pre-approval or a pre-qualification, Chris? Oh, I can tell you it's pre-approval. And I say this because we read a lot of offers. 
And uh, we win a lot of offers, and I'll, that's because we have pre-approvals, and we also do a lot of work with you. Yeah. Now, having your credit pulled to get pre-qualified or pre-approved, this is not going to ruin your life. <laughs> you sure about that, Joe? I am 110% positive. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it is all over TV. Uh, it's some of the the Credit Karma commercials I love where it's like, oh, don't let anybody pull your credit. Your credit report's going to be destroyed. Your life's going down the tubes. Um, guys, you want to be a house hacker. You want to invest in real estate. You want to buy a property. We're going to need to see your credit. Um, we need to see what has your payment history been like on your prior loans? What's your credit score? What sort of outstanding debts do you have? What sort of student loans do you have? It will not ruin your life. I can assure you, if the change of one or two or three points on your credit score is the difference between you being approved and not approved, then you're too close to the edge anyways. So when you're serious, this will be one of the earliest questions that we ask you. We're going to ask where you live, where you work, how much money do you make? And we're going to ask you some personal information like your date of birth and your social, because we've got to really look in depth to make that determination if we can truly lend you money. So when you're ready to get started, guys, just be serious about that. Um, you know, we, we are going to have to look at it. Otherwise, it's kind of like comparing the mortgage insurance earlier. It's all hypothetical. And uh, if you're serious, you're going to want to have, have serious answers. Um, having a serious conversation, I think, is, is going to be important, right? And that's where, you know, I kind of put Jeff on the spot. You know, gathering that information is not that hard. Um, Jeff, if, I, if you wanted to get pre-approved for a new loan right now, how long would it take you to gather the documents that we need? Your tax returns, your paycheck stubs, your bank statements? What would be the time commitment? I can send it to you right now if you want. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, now, you're more, yeah. you're more organized than most. Yeah, um, like I would say, worst case, it'd be like a day just to go find certain files or pull like my statements and stuff like that if I don't yeah. have it already. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right. And um, when I did my last refinance, I actually timed it because I wanted to have a real um, an analysis. And it took me an hour and 15 minutes. It was an hour and 15 minutes for me to gather my paycheck stubs, my tax returns, my W-2s, uh, my bank statements. And, and most of it uh, was me looking around for the passwords and, and asking my wife to reset all the passwords so I could log into the bank statements. Um, and, and most of that was just me not being organized. So I think the average person you know, like Jeff said, no more than a day. So when you're ready to get started, um, you can go to our website, of course, loansbyjoemassey.com. And there's a link on there for the documents that you'll need. And it's all the same stuff that you would expect, paycheck stubs, tax returns, W-2s, et cetera. Uh, and then remember, we will need to see that credit report because that's going to allow us to have a serious conversation with you. And that's going to be important, I think, for Chris as well, because you're going to need to know uh, where that, that potential house hacker stands uh, as far as what they can qualify for. Is that right, Chris? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, one of the, the worst things that uh, a client can do or an investor can do is, oh, well, I think I'm approved for this amount or I can afford this amount. Those are assumptions and they, they just get us in trouble. Uh, and the reality is in the current Denver market, and right now we're in a very strong seller's market, uh, there is no point in writing an offer without a pre-approval letter. Because most properties, especially in the price range we're buying these house hacking properties with, I'm not the only person putting an offer in. There's two, three, four other people oftentimes putting offers in there. And so you need to be pre-approved to have your offer even looked at, but even taken one step further, this is the reality check. Um, and it's, it's not meant to be emotional, but it's meant to give you and me and everyone else on the team a glimpse of your reality. Because we want to know what you can do and where you stand, and then we will make things to work on there. But if we don't know the, if I don't know the rules about how much Joe can lend you, I can't go out there and find you a property. 
Yep. And nothing is more frustrating for, for a home buyer to feel like they should, they want to look at a $500,000 home and they look at two or three, $500,000 homes. And then they come to us and we get them pre-approved and they can only buy a $375,000 home. Um, all of a sudden that $375,000 home does not look nearly as nice as the $500,000 home they had their heart set on. Um, so please don't fall into that trap guys, get pre-approved first before you get your heart set on a certain price range, before you start looking at properties. Um, cause it's, it's very frustrating for the buyer. You know, we're okay. Chris and I, and Jeff, we know how to navigate through that. Um, but if the buyer gets their heart set on something, uh, and then it's outside their price range, that can be pretty disheartening for them. So definitely when you're ready to get started, uh, you know, chat with Chris and then, uh, he'll get you in touch with us, uh, or you can reach out to me directly and we'll get started. Chris, any last questions or Jeff, any thoughts on this? Uh, I don't have any last questions. I, I think you did a great job of touching on the high points. And I'll just reiterate that, like, if you didn't understand everything Joe talked about today, don't worry about it. Um, we will walk, we will hold your hands and walk you through it. We want to give you all the information. And this is stuff we do discuss before uh, we buy a property and once we're in a contract. Uh, and this is a great resource. So, so thank you. Thank you. Jeff, what do you Sweet. think? Any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, I guess um, if you could say, What's what's the minimum threshold for credit score uh, to get the best loan terms? Yeah, very good question. I'll, I'll give you two answers. Minimum credit score to qualify for a new loan right now is a 620. Um, to get the very best loan terms, you really want to be 740 and above. Um, so that's a terrific question. Uh, very wide range there. Even down as low as a 620, we can get you qualified. But if you want to have the lowest interest rate, lowest cost of mortgage insurance, you want to have that 740 credit score and above. Great question. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this module. Um, let us know what we can do to help. All of my contact information is on there. Chris's contact information and Jeff's contact information. Um, we've got many more modules coming up. I'm really excited to have you guys on here. You can also get uh, additional information, denverinvestmentrealestate.com slash HH help house hacking help. And uh, you can reach me on my website, uh, Jeff's calendar link there. You can email him or schedule an appointment with him. Uh, and of course you can reach Chris there at his email and uh, his website, denverinvestmentrealestate.com. Thanks so much for joining us guys. And we will catch you on the next uh, module. Hey, thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you have any questions or need clarification, shoot me an email. Or if you want to grab a physical book copy of the Ultimate House Hacking Guide, also send me an email. My email is chris at denverinvestmentrealestate.com. A couple other services that we offer, if you need help putting together your investment plan and buying your first or your next house hacking property, reach out to me. That's what we specialize in. If you need help with lending and financing, reach out to Joe Massey. That's his specialty. And if you need help in stabilizing and operating your house act property, reach out to Jeff White, as that's his specialty. Now, all their contact details in the show notes. If you have trouble finding them or you just want to keep it simple, shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer all your questions and also connect you with Joe, Jeff, or whoever you need to talk to. All right. We'll see you next episode.